Josh Eby from uh, All Saints is going to be opening up the, God's Word to us from the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Um, it is a, a pivotal scene in our look at Jonah as uh, Jonah is um, now in the belly of the mermaid uh, that you see on the cover right here, the belly of the mermaid. Sorry. Um, okay. Um, let's, let's gather together and gather our hearts now um, to hear God's word from Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning and to reflect on God's word for a few minutes together. Let me pray for us as we do so. Holy Father, we ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey your word, that we might see Jesus high and lifted up. Amen. How do you respond? How do you respond to people, to institutions, or to things that you wish were not in our world? Things that you despise, things that you you might even say you hate things that you would label in some way as your enemy. How do you respond? We all have these people and these things in our lives, lots of them. People, whether individuals or larger groups, have done damage, harm, and hurt to us. Institutions have failed us. Things have damaged us. We all have lists, long lists, if we're honest. What's on your list? Police brutality? Criminals? Guns? Violence? Whites? Blacks? Men? Women? Politicians? Religious leaders? ISIS? Conservatives, liberals, abortions, gays, straights, pastors, elders, parents, siblings, SUVs, gluten, and God. What do you do? 
about these things, about these people that you despise, things that, if you were being honest, you would label as an enemy. Friends, we tend to respond in one of two ways. One response is just to condemn these things outright. It's to criticize them and critique them as much as possible. It's to tweet against them. It's to go to rallies judging them. It's to criticize them mercilessly. It's to have energy, zeal, hatred, disdain, condemnation, and disgust toward them. Some people become so overwhelmed, so hurt by the pain and that they've experienced through people or institutions that they spend more time condemning these people and things than they do constructing a different reality, a different story, a different world. Friends, hurt is real. Pain is real. Condemnation, judgment, and hatred often follow it, and these are real as well. We make vows never to forgive. We make vows never to be in relationship with that person again, never to be in the position to be hurt by that person or that institution again. We become angry, cynical, critical, judgmental. I know someone who's been hurt by an institution in a particular way, and all this person, it seems, can talk about now is this particular pain. All this person talks about in social interactions, on Facebook, is this pain, this trauma in this person's life. This cause has taken over this person's life, it seems, and it's now the one thing that they constantly talk about and the one thing that they judge everything else by. Condemnation is one response. A second response to people and institutions that have hurt us is just to check out. It's to avoid them at all costs. It's to flee. It's to run. It's to hide. It's to never talk about them or deal with them, pursue any type of restoration or reconciliation with them. It's to check out. It's to check out from these people that have caused so much pain and trauma and damage in our lives. And this checking out takes on a number of forms. Overeating, undereating. Overdrinking, underdrinking. Overworking, underworking, moving from place to place, binging on Netflix, developing an addictive hobby, reading. Checking out of life causes us to become distant, distracted, hopeless, empty. I know someone whose children were the cause of pain in life, and this person's response was to check out by reading nonstop. Because books didn't disobey, books didn't yell back, books didn't do drugs. It became easy for this person to check out and to sink into another world, an alternate reality by reading. Friends, we all have real pain, real people, real situations, real institutions that have hurt us. And that we respond to either by condemning them or by checking out. Sometimes condemnation critique in particular ways is wise and good and helpful and appropriate. Sometimes checking out is wise and good and helpful and appropriate. But friends, the Bible offers us a different alternative. And this alternative should inform and shape and empower us as we seek to live in the midst of a world, of a broken world where people and institutions have hurt us. Friends, the biblical answer is Compassion. 
Compassion is what our world needs. Compassion is what America needs. It's what Austin needs. It's what grace and peace needs. It's what you need. It's what I need. Condemnation says, I'm better than you, and I'll show you in these ways. Checking out says, I'm better than you, and I'll show you in these ways. But compassion says, I'm like you. I'm one of you. I have the same needs as you. I'm in the same boat as you. Friends, until we develop compassion, we'll never, never be able to relate to ourselves or to others or to the wider world in healthy ways. So how do we develop compassion? Let's look at a few answers from Jonah chapter 2. First, Jonah chapter 2 teaches us that we have to realize that the problems in our world, the problems of our lives are not ultimately outside of us, but within us. Here's what I mean. Some of us have been the victims of real abuse, real harm, real trauma, real pain. That's you, I'm, I'm sorry. Please don't hear me as saying that it's your fault. Sometimes there are situations and circumstances that are beyond our ability to control. But what I am saying and what we do learn from Jonah chapter 2 is that the root of evil that causes so much damage, so much wickedness, so much destruction, so much violence in our world, evil words, evil actions, evil plots, evil schemes, that these flow from the root of anger, of bitterness, of jealousy, of envy, of greed, and that the root of these things are within each and every one of us. We all have things within our hearts that are dark, that are ugly, that are distorted, things that we don't want to get out, things that should stay hidden, things that by God's grace do stay hidden. Jonah had to learn this. Jonah had to learn that the problem in the world wasn't Nineveh and the horrible things that the Ninevites did. Jonah had to learn that the problem was himself. He had to learn and come to realize it was what was distorted and destructed and small about his own heart. Until he saw his own sin, he could not have compassion on others. Until you see your own sin, you cannot have compassion on others. Without an honest assessment of the darkness of our own hearts, compassion is impossible. Some of you are here this morning, and this is difficult for you. It's much easier for you to see and identify the evil outside of you rather than the evil within. If that's you, let me encourage you to spend some time examining your own heart, your own motives, the way that you relate to others, the things that you think about, the things that you often think about but don't say, the things that you would like to act on but don't do, the desires that you have. Reflect on these. Are they always good? Are they always virtuous? Are they always holy? And also realize that learning about your own heart is a process. It takes time. So be patient. Be patient with others. Be patient with yourself. It's a, a process. We learn this from the Apostle Paul. In his earlier writings, the Apostle Paul described himself as the least of the apostles. In his later writings, he described himself as the chief of sinners. I became a father at 22. At 22, I thought I knew everything about parenting. I thought I knew everything that parenting would entail, that I would always do it right, that I wouldn't be like others, that I wouldn't be like my own parents, that I wouldn't make the same mistakes, 
now 22 years later and five kids later, I don't know much about parenting. I've come to realize how hard life is, how full of trouble life is, how dark and distorted my own heart is, how often the people that I sin against the most are the people that I love the most. At 22, I thought I was a parenting guru. Today, I would not know where to begin. It takes time to develop a healthy view of your own failings, your own shortcomings, your own dysfunctions, your own depravity. Without this, you'll never, ever develop a heart of compassion toward others. So first, you need to realize that there's deep sin within that has to be dealt with. That's what Jonah had to learn. That's what we have to learn. Second, you must realize your own needs. You'll never, ever have compassion until you see your own needs. Friends, our needs are the same as the world's needs, as our enemies' needs. Mercy, grace, hope, forgiveness, pity. We'll never relate to the world in appropriate ways or engage the world in Christian mission in appropriate ways by thinking that we in and of ourselves have something to offer the world, by thinking that we are better than the world, by thinking that it's our gifts and our goodness that somehow will change the world. It's not. Christianity is religion that begins and ends with need. We'll never have compassion on others until we see our own need, our own need for mercy, our own need for grace. Jonah had to learn this. At the beginning of Jonah's ministry, he saw himself better as the Ninevites. He saw himself as being superior to them. And he had to come to a place of seeing his own need, his own desperation, his own failings, his own distress. Only when he got to that place did he develop a heart of compassion in the belly of the great fish, he did find mercy. In the darkest, deepest, lowest place, he experienced grace. And friends, that's how it works. That's the beauty and the mystery and the complexity of Christianity. Grace does not run uphill to the deserving. It runs downhill to the needy, to the weak, to the distraught, to the dying. It only runs downhill those who really see their need. Some of you this morning are having a hard time realizing your need. It's easy for you to see the need in others. It's easy for you to identify people and institutions that are in great need, that need to change. You know the needs of political parties, and if you were in charge, you know exactly what needs to happen in order to change these things. You know the needs of your workplace. You know, the needs of your boss, the needs of your home, the needs of your spouse, the needs of your children. If we were to talk, you could point out their needs very easily. But sometimes it's hard to see our own needs. Sometimes we need to spend more time reflecting on our own needs, reflecting, praying, journaling, thinking about things that are present in our own life that needs to change. Often the needs that we see in others are also the most uh, the needs that are most reflected in our own lives. Often the complaints that we have about others are evident in ourselves. As a pastor, I'm privileged to hear about the needs that people have, relational needs, financial needs, spiritual needs. And what I'm learning to do as a pastor is to help people in healthy ways 
identify those needs, not only in others so that they can relate to others in healthy ways, but also how those needs take shape in their own lives. Because often the things that we complain about the loudest are the things that we wish we could change in ourselves. So compassion grows out of seeing our own needs. Third, we have to realize God's greatness. We'll never, never have a heart of compassion until we realize how great God is. We must come to see how big, how large, how incredible, how amazing the God of the Bible really is. We've got to see that he's full of mercy. We've got to see that he's full of grace. We've got to see that he's full of pity and full of compassion. We've got to come and taste and see that God is good in order for us to develop a heart of compassion. Jonah had to learn this. In the heart of the sea, in the belly of the great fish, he began to see himself for who he really was. He began to see his own smallness, his own cowardliness, his own fear, his own anger. These were things that he was going to struggle with his entire ministry. And he also began to see how great God was, how merciful, how gracious, how kind God was. And friends, these are things that he was going to struggle with throughout his ministry as well. But in the heart of the fish, he began to realize that salvation and life and love belong to the Lord and that his God was gracious in giving him these gifts. Friends, you and I will never, ever develop a heart of compassion until we realize how compassionate God has been to us, how gracious and merciful and kind and loving and forgiving he's been to us. And friends, some of you are here this morning, and this is the hardest thing for you to do. It's easier for you to see the sin in others. It's easier for you to see the need in others. It's easier for you to see your own sin or your own need than it is for you to see the goodness of God. When I went through the list of things that cause you pain in life, maybe for some of you, God was at the very top of it. God, the church, the Bible, Christianity, have been what has caused you the most pain in your life. If that's you, I'm sorry. We want to know you. You're welcome here. We want this to be a community where we can have honest conversations about these things. But if that's you, I also wonder this. I wonder if the pain that you've endured has come from a true or distorted understanding of God. Because often our anger at the God of the Bible isn't our anger at the God of the Bible, but our anger at a God in which we've made in our own image. Our kids go to a Christian school. We're so thankful for the education, the care, the, the nurture that they receive at that school. But several times this year, with pretty significant things, our kids have come home and they've asked me, Dad, is that what Christians believe? Is that what God is really like? And I've had to say, no, that is not what Christians believe. No, that is not what God is like. That's a distorted view of God. I understand that you are hurt by what has been said, and you have every right to be hurt. But do not equate this hurt 
and this pain and this difficulty with God because God is not like that. Friends, Jonah is the proof of God's amazing, God's abounding love, God's grace. Because Jonah is a story of the faithfulness of God, of the loyalty of God, of the goodness of God, of the mercy and grace of God. Now, that's not to say that the God of the Bible doesn't allow hard things to come to our lives. He does all the time. And that's not to say that at times he isn't even the source of those hard things. Love, mercy, grace, and pain are not always opposites. But it is to say that the God of the Bible identifies with our pain, with our brokenness, with our hurts, with our longings, with our fears, and that the God of the Bible has compassion on us. And we know this because many, many years after the life of Jonah, Jesus identified with him. Jesus, just like Jonah, descended into the heart of the earth. Jesus, just like Jonah, took upon himself the filth and the stank and the slime of the great fish. Jesus, like Jonah, endured the waves. Jesus, like Jonah, descended into the heart of the earth. And Jesus had compassion on his world, dying on a cross for it. Jesus brings salvation to his world by rising for it. Several years ago, our youngest son was in a Sunday school class going through the story of Jonah. And after church that day, we asked him what he learned in Sunday school. And he said, that fish ate God. The reason he said this is because in children's story Bibles, Jonah had a beard. And for him, Jesus is the one that always has a beard. And he was trying to learn that Jesus is God. And so you could see how this was very confusing to a three-year-old. That fish ate God. Our son Owen is not the best theologian. I would not trust him for uh, theological accuracy or precision. But he's on to something. You see, in Jonah, the fish represents all that is dying, all that is decaying, all that's sinking and passing away. It represents the old world, the old way of relating to God and others. It represents what needs to die. And friends, in Jesus, he has swallowed all of that up for us. He swallowed up death and victory. He's entered into the belly of the great fish, into sin and death and evil and suffering, and he was consumed by it. It ate him up. It swallowed him whole. And friends, three days later, he came out of it victoriously. He emerged onto dry land. And dry land in the Bible always represents life, new creation, a new beginning. Jesus emerged from the empty tomb onto dry land in order to remake and reshape and renew his world. And he's in the process of doing that. Not only in cities like Nineveh, but in people like us, to the whole creation. And it's a long process. It's a hard process. But it's a process that he has begun and that he will be faithful to the very end. And part of the amazing part is that he's using people like us. He's using people like Jonah to bring his life and his love and his beauty and his peace to the world. 
friends, our world does not need more people who condemn it. We've got plenty of those around. Our world does not need more people who check out of it. We've got plenty of those around, Christian and non-Christian alike. What the world needs are people who are compassionate. People who really and truly become compassionate toward their friends, their neighbors, even their enemies, because they've encountered the grace of God. So this week, let me encourage you to do this. Make a small list. Don't make it too long or too overwhelming. Make a small list of some of the things that you think are wrong with the world and some of the ways in which you've been pained by the world. Be honest. But rather than just condemning those people or those institutions or checking out from those people or those institutions, rather develop and pray and ask for a heart of compassion toward those people and those institutions. Because a heart of compassion is what our world needs. A heart of compassion is what the church needs. A heart of compassion is what our God has. And a heart of compassion is what he gives us by his Holy Spirit as we come to him seeking it and experiencing it just like Jonah did. And he'll do for us what he did for Jonah. He'll take all that's small and distorted and slimy about our own hearts and our own lives and he'll spit those things out. It takes a whole lot to do it. But he will spit those things out and he will uh, spit us onto dry land in order that we might bring his life and his grace and his love to others. So friends, this week, engage in what God has called you to do in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your church, in this city, to live a life of compassion. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are the God of compassion, and that your compassion extends to us in countless ways. And it especially extends to us in the cross of your dear son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's only there where our condemning and judging and critical hearts, it's only there where our hearts just want to check out and flee and run and hide will be changed by your heart of compassion. And so give us your heart, O Holy Father. Give us your Holy Spirit that we might live faithful lives, lives full of your mercy and grace and love and compassion. It's in Christ's sake we pray.